Welcome everybody to a very special edition of the Legends of Sports and Music. This is your host, the original great Rob Silva, and um, this episode is dedicated to the night that Whitney Houston died. Whitney Houston died, I, I remember it vividly like it was yesterday on a Saturday evening, and I will go into complete details as to where I was. And how I learned of her death, probably in the final segment of this podcast. This podcast will be uh, a podcast in which people talk about where they were when she died. Um, I will talk about my experience and my recollection on the very final segment. We have several voice notes, uh, almost 20 voice notes of listeners giving their thoughts and memories about Whitney Houston's death and about Whitney Houston's career and what she meant to them as far as her impact on their lives. Whitney Houston, and I covered this thoroughly on Whitney Houston Part 1 when I covered her first two albums, uh, Whitney Houston and Whitney, um, that's available on this platform. It's called Whitney Houston Part One. Um, you guys should check that out because I gave a historical background of her career from before she became a pop superstar. Um, talked about her modeling career, her, her, her early years as a, a member of royalty. Related to Dion Warwick and Sissy Houston and, um, by extension, Aretha Franklin. Whitney Houston comes from um, a tribe of legendary female singers. Uh, sort of like how Roman Reigns in wrestling comes from a royal family of great wrestlers like the Samoans, like the Tonga Kid, like uh, Rikishi, like his cousins, the Usos, and Umaga. Um, the, the list is endless. Whitney Houston came from a similar family growing up in New Jersey. Um, and I mentioned this on the first Whitney Houston podcast I did, which was... Uh, I believe was it earlier this year, I believe January or February, I think it was February, I did the very first Whitney Houston uh, podcast, so part two is almost a year later, I'm recording this December 27th into, 28, into the 28th of 2023, ladies and gentlemen, this will be the very final episode I do of this year, I'm going to kick off next year, probably either on, on January 1st or January 2nd, with my Janet Jackson part two podcast part one is on this platform came out last week one of the highest first day streams I've ever had I mean the, the streams exploded so I have to do a part two right away that'll be next week where we look at her music videos of all the hits like control and what have you done for me lately and pleasure principle that will be next week as we look at her music videos from 1986 to 1993 today we go back in time and look at the night that Whitney Houston died now 
you, like I mentioned earlier, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about what they were doing the night of February 11th, 2011, or depending on where they lived in the country, the afternoon, because Whitney Houston died at, at 6.55, 7 p.m. Eastern time, and, sh and so that would have been 3.55, 4 p.m., between 3.55 and 4 p.m. Pacific time. So depending on where you were in the world at the time, and February 11th, 2012, at that point in time, social media had was at the beginning of its ascent. Twitter was already around. Uh, MySpace had kicked the bucket. I mean, it was still around. But MySpace, which was the first dominant social media platform, had been uh, overtaken by Facebook. So in 2012, Facebook is still number one. And Twitter is closing in on number two. Um, I'm not sure if Instagram existed. I don't know because I've never had an Instagram account. In 2012, I started my... Did I start my first... No, I didn't start my first Twitter account until 10 years ago in 2013. 2012, I had a Facebook account. But once I... With my OG Robert Civil 576 uh, Twitter account, once I started getting more followers and more engagement... I tossed my Facebook account sometime in 2014 and deactivated it. And on a couple of occasions, I reactivated it just to look for pictures that I had um, that I didn't have in my phone that I had on my Facebook account. But other than that, it's deactivated. Don't even bother doing a search for me on Facebook. Or you're going to see it's a blank picture. Because <laughs> I'm never going back to that account. But. In 2012, when Whitney Houston died, Facebook exploded. And I'll talk more about that in the final segment. What I will do is on my segments, talk about Whitney Houston between 1992 and her death in 2012. So I'll be talking about the last 20 years of Whitney Houston's uh, career, Whitney Houston's life, the ups, the downs, the many ups. The many downs, and I'm going to be honest. I'm going to give you my honest appraisal of her behavior, of her addictions. I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. This episode is dedicated to Whitney Houston, but I'm going to be fair. I'm not going to be biased, even though I adored Whitney Houston as a singer. She was a, she was one of those talents that not only... It's generational. It's a once-in-a-lifetime talent. Um, and she came around at a time where music didn't have something. When Whitney Houston exploded into the scene in 1984 with her first hit song alongside Teddy Pendergrass in Hold Me In Your Arms, you really hadn't heard a woman sing like that in a very long time. I mean, she was bringing back the Aretha Franklin, Shaka Khan, Patti LaBelle style of, of, of a singer that you hadn't heard in a while. I mean, those, those incredible legendary female icons were still singing, but Whitney was this early 20s woman with this incredible voice that we hadn't heard in a while. It was just Amazing to hear, and she took the world by storm. 
We, I talked all about on part one, all those consecutive number one hits she had in her first two albums. How both albums were multi-platinum, how hit after hit, how she was the most played female artist on black radio between 1985 and 1990. And as far as pop radio goes, Madonna and Janet Jackson were probably the only two that you could say were played more on pop for of uh, pop 40 stations, top 40 stations throughout the country. It was Madonna. It was Janet Jackson. It was Whitney Houston. Sade didn't get that same type of airplay that uh, those three have, even though she was an icon and on a legendary run of her own. Um, and uh, think of the other female singers at that time. Um, it was those three. It was those three. They were the holy trinity of pop radio from 1986 to 1990. It was, well, of course, Whitney Madonna before that. Madonna exploded in the scene in 1983 with Borderline. And Whitney exploded onto the scene in 1985 with her first album. And then, of course, Janet in 1986 with the Control album. Those three dominated rate of, of female pop radio in the late 80s. Without a doubt, it was them three. Them three and them three alone. Tina Turner and Sade would be on that next level. But it would be those three. That would be at the top of the food chain. Uh, what I I don't know if people remember this. I'm sure people from my generation, Generation X uh, listeners, and the majority of my uh, listenership is 35 and over. 75 percent of my listeners are over the age of uh, 35 and older. 25% are between the ages of 18 and 34. So, the people that predominantly listen to this program, they might remember this. I remember it vividly. It was a couple of days after 9-11. I'm at my office in the Foster Care Agency I work, work, worked at in uh, on 29th Street and Park Avenue South, sheltering arms. I was in charge of uh, the administrative assistance and the file room. And I'm in my office and I'm listening to the radio. And who was I listening to? I might have been listening to Wendy Wendy Williams in the afternoon on WBLS radio. That's that's who I was listening to, I believe. And on the yeah, it was Wendy Williams. And on the radio, Wendy says that she heard that Whitney Houston had died. And then I'm I get a phone call from um, uh, Nika, one of the women I was seeing at the time. And Nika called me, and and, and Nika 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 called my office, and, and Nika was like, "Rob, Robert, did you hear Whitney died?" I was like, "Yeah, I just heard it on the radio, but what?" I don't see any confirmation on the internet now. At that point in time, I had the internet on my home, uh, on my work computer. And at that point in time, I wasn't using Google. Um, I was, I think I was using Ask Jeeves. And I typed in Whitney Houston and there was no reports of any death, CNN, nothing. And then about 10 minutes after uh, Wendy Williams mentioned on the radio, 
and Wendy at that time was working for WBLS FM. Just about 10 minutes after Wendy mentioned on the radio that she heard rumors of Whitney Houston dying, she came back and said, no, it was a hoax. It was a false report. The original rumor was that she uh, died of a drug overdose. Things come full circle, ladies, ladies and gentlemen. Keep that in the back of your mind. When I come back for the final segment, I'm, I'll have four four other segments throughout this three or four other segments throughout this podcast. But keep that in the back of your mind when I end the podcast with my memories of the, of the night when Houston died. Um, the rumor it, she said it was a false rumor of her dying of a drug overdose, but I wouldn't have been surprised, even though at that point in time. Whitney was, what, 36, 37 years old? Whitney Houston, Whitney Houston was, wait a minute, Whitney Houston died in 2012. She would have been 49 had she lived, so she was born in 1963. Let me make sure I get this right. She was born in 1963. So in two, this would have been a month after her birthday. Um, Whitney's a Leo, like my sister, like my son, like my brother. Not my son. My son was on cancer. My bad. My nephew. My nephew is a Leo, and so is my sister and my brother. My brother and sister were born a day apart. I mean, the, on the same day a year apart. And um, my nephew's birthday is six days before his mother's birthday. No wonder they're always at odds with each other. <laughs> they're both Leos. Anyway, um, back to what, what I was saying as far as uh, that day where I was like shook for a minute. They was like, damn, Whitney Houston died. At that point in time, Whitney Houston was only 38 years old. But even though she was only 38 years old, she was not looking well. She had... Whitney Houston was always slim. She was always a very slim, pretty woman. But by the time 2001 rolled around and she and that fake report came out, she had been looking very, very, very... Uh, what's the word to say? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the correct term to say without being derogatory? She was looking very sickly, unfortunately. She had lost a lot of weight. I wouldn't be surprised if she was barely 100 pounds. A week, not even a week, because uh, I believe the false report came out on September 13th or September 14th of 2001. Um, the Michael Jackson um, 20th anniversary concert was held three to four days before 9-11. So we're talking less than a week earlier, Whitney Houston had gotten on stage with Michael Jackson. And ladies and gentlemen, the concert, I believe the entire concert is, is um, on YouTube, is available on YouTube. Uh, I would, uh, if you want, it's hard to watch. Whitney got up on stage, sang with Michael, and she looked like she was knocking on death's door. So I could see somebody making up, people believing that false rumor was actually true. But no, it was a false rumor. Her publicist came right away, said, no, Whitney's with me, blah, blah, blah. And um, 
ABC reported that night about the false rumor and that they uh, confirmed that it was nothing but a, a false rumor. It was a lie. Thank God for that. And then we begin the decline in her career, in her health, in her marriage, in her personal life. And I'll touch more about that, about that situation later on in the podcast. Right now, I'm going to play a couple of voice notes, followed by a couple of songs. I'll be back in a few segments where I will talk about the magnificence of Whitney Houston. Matter of fact, this is what we're going to do. I started the podcast off with all the man that I need. One of my all-time favorite Whitney Houston songs. I'm going to play a voice note, and then I'm your baby tonight, and then I'm going to uh, continue with the uh, with two other songs. We're going to do three more songs from the I'm Your Baby Tonight um, album. I'm going to play a voice note of listeners with their recollections of that day before the songs Miracle. I'm your baby tonight and um, after we make love. After those voice notes and songs are played, I will come back and I will talk about my memories of Whitney Houston from late 1992 throughout 1993 and how she, with the body, with her starring in The Bodyguard and with her magnificent performance. On the, on the My Bodyguard soundtrack Ruled The world Musically Entertainment wise For the year 1993 I'll talk all about it In a few segments Sit back Enjoy Well I don't know if enjoy is the right word um, Listen intently And Please Try and hold your emotions. You're about to hear some very emotional testimonials about the legend, Whitney Houston. This is Nazobia. Um, and I'll always remember that night because I was so excited for her return. She was looking beautiful, she looked happy, at peace. She had people around her who we knew loved her like dearly, you know, such as, you know, like your Brandies. Um, I was mad. I was so mad more than anything because I felt like it was it was it was her comeback. It was her time. I was excited to, you know, see her at the Grammys and um, and then there was a part of me who felt like there, there were people around her for selfish reasons, um, whether it's money or, I don't know, a good look for them, whatever. So I was mad. I couldn't, I couldn't feel any hurt till later on I realized the great voice is gone. Um, but I was so mad. I was so mad and I felt like she wanted to be here. I feel like um, she was ready for her comeback. 
So, yeah, that's how I felt. I feel like Whitney was so, she was ours. I, I don't know how to describe that sentiment or that feeling, but I feel like she was just ours wholly, right? She she came from, you know, of course, this musical family, musical royalty, and yet she was still that, you know, down-to-earth girl from Brick City, from Newark. And, you know, I think as strong as she was, and, you know, with the sheer power of her voice and her presence, there was something, you know, so vulnerable and so beautiful in her that made us, you know, made people want to care for her and sort of look look out for her, look out for her well-being. And I think my grandmother, of all people in my family, really, you know, she kind of tuned into that that feeling. Um, you know, you can call her mother wit, intuition, but she was just always so concerned about how Whitney was doing. I mean, for decades, she was like just concerned about her. Of course, you know, appreciated her, her musical genius, but, you know, just had that intuition about Whitney and, you know, every month or so. Um, you know, since I want to say the, the mid nineties, you know, my grandma would ask, how's Whitney doing? Is she okay? Is she all right? You know, what's going on with Whitney? And she would ask me so, so, you know, so much that it just like became a running joke in, in our family. Like, oh, grandma's going to ask about, you know, Whitney Houston. Um, and she like before a little bit before she passed, maybe like five or six years before she passed, she had started buying all the magazines and the tabloids where, you know, Whitney was featured. And some of them, you know, we kind of say, you know, grandma, don't, don't listen to them. They're just gossip. They're just, you know, spreading lies and rumors. But Grandma, you know, Grandma just knew that, you know, something wasn't right. You know, mothers mothers always tend to know. So a few weeks before Whitney's passing, Grandma was, she was, like, asking more frequently, like, what's going on with Whitney? Is she okay? Is she, you know, what's she doing? And I think, you know, we had all kind of convinced ourselves that, uh, all was well. And I told grandma that, no, you know, she, she looked great. Uh, the sparkle movie that was, you know, going to come out soon. And, you know, she looked really healthy and we just kind of dismissed grandma's concerns. So the night that we got the news about Whitney, um, I walked in the door of my apartment and, you know, just kind of turned on the TV, switching through the channels. And I turned on CNN and that's when I heard the news. And of course, I immediately called grandma and to let her know, hey, you know, turn into to CNN because, you know, there's something going on. And we just sat on the phone and we talked and we cried because I think that, you know, grandma sort of thought of Whitney as, as like a daughter. And she was she wanted to be protective of her and of her, you know, legacy and of her, you know, of her. So it was just heartbreaking to hear the news um, 
when we felt like, you know, Whitney had just kind of turned the corner and was getting, was getting better. And, you know, whenever I think of, you know, Whitney now, um, because it wasn't always my favorite song growing up, but it just grew and grew on me. Um, the song from the Preacher's uh, Wife soundtrack, uh, I Believe in You and Me. And that um, was one of my mom's favorite songs. And I remember during Whitney's funeral, my mom and I, we just sat on the phone and we just watched the whole funeral together. And um, I just believe now that, you know, Nippy, she's at peace you know, with Bobby, Christina, and I'm just so grateful that she blessed us with her musical gifts here on earth, and um, I'm grateful for her.
Robin. What's up, everybody? Um, discussing the death of Whitney Houston and going back to that day. Again, you know, that was one of those instances where I don't think you'll ever forget. Um, I don't think that I had heard or didn't know anything about it. Um, and uh, a co-worker called me. Um, my same co-worker, uh, Carol, um, that um, asked me, was it true when Michael Jackson died? Again, you know, she lives in the rural area of Tennessee. And so I think she equates me not being from a rural area, more of an urban city that she thinks I should know certain things. Or, you know, she uh, used to call me back then to kind of like validate what was going on. But she called and uh, or texted me. I don't remember, but I remember it was it was her, the first person again. And she was like, you know, they're saying when Houston has passed away or may have passed away. And I was like, no. So then, you know, you instantly start. You go to the Internet. That's like the first thing. And, you know, you, you try to see what's going on. And um, again, um, you know, I think from there, then I start calling, you know, my people that I normally go to to check the validity of things like, hey, you know, it's, it's true. Um, same thing I did um, when uh, another friend of mine alerted me that, that Kobe uh, had passed away. You know, I then, you know, check with my people. Then I go to the Internet or, you know, I do it all simultaneously. But, you know, I remember that evening just feeling like it wasn't even real. Like this has to be fake. Even when the reports started coming out and people started, you know, reporting about the death, you know, you still didn't even want to believe it was real, you know, uh, someone so young, you know, um, that, you know, had that just beautiful voice, you know, you, you realize that we all will, won't be here forever, but, you know, you just don't think that, um, people like with that type of status, with that, you know, that, that, you know, the people that we grew up listening to would ever leave here so quickly, um, but, you know, I think that was the day of one of the award shows. And I remember that LL Cool J was hosting that night. And I just remember the prayer um, that he that he read and how moving it was and how it just impacted everyone um, at the show that night. It was like you could feel the sadness from the TV, <laughs> believe it or not. I have never seen uh, a celebrity's death displayed on TV and just could feel the sadness in that room as if I was there. But yeah, when he when he said that prayer, and I'll never forget, he said, we've lost one of our own or it's something to that to that effect. Like, you know, we've 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 lost another one, y'all. Um, but yeah, the prayer and then, you know, it seems like almost everybody on the red carpet was asked about her that evening. And it may have been the Grammys. It may have been another award show. And the reason I say another award show, because I remember them asking Tom Hanks <laughs> about it. And I remember him saying that, you know, just the first time that he heard her voice, you know, just how beautiful it was. So it may have been uh, another award show because uh, yeah uh, LL is also an actor so that probably would have made sense for him to host 
either the Grammys or another award show uh, with actors, was it the Academy Awards or whatever uh, that is. But I just remember him hosting a show and saying that. And I remember Tom Hanks um, saying what he said. He was with his wife and it was, you know, they were asking everyone and it was just so moving. And you saw just how many people appreciated her voice, not even just us common individuals, but, you know, people uh, of so-called status. You know, um, from white, black, yellow, green, everybody just enjoyed her music and enjoyed her voice. And so, you know, just seeing that in the tributes that they were able to give her, I think was beautiful for her and her family so that they can know that, you know, we loved her as well. We appreciated what she was able to give to us. And um, yeah, that is that is what I remember. So thank you, Rob, for, you know, just giving us this platform to discuss some of these these things that we've experienced and some of the things that we remember and the different impact that people uh, have had on us. Um, you know, how, however that may have been, either through sports or the music, you know, we really do appreciate what you do but yeah I, I specifically remember uh ll and tom hanks um speaking about her but i i really remember uh ll giving that that moving prayer and um just how how beautiful his words were um and just wanting to strengthen everybody uh, in that moment so peace everybody thank you rob for asking me to contribute um and i can't wait to listen to the voice notes of everybody else uh, discussing that day. Peace.
Good morning, everyone. This is Donald Peoples. I am going to tell you about my reaction to the death of Whitney Elizabeth Houston on February 11, 2012. I took her death very hard. That was a time when I was going through my own transition. I had just got outsourced from Ogilvy and Mather in New York and um, began my first semester as a library school student at Pratt Institute. Um, so I was going through a transition at that time, and I took her death very hard. I was a lifelong fan of Whitney's um, since her introduction to the music industry in 1985. And I loved listening to Whitney's songs during her prime, um, during the 1980s and the 1990s. So when I heard that she died, that she overdosed in the bathtub in her hotel, I was very shocked and disappointed because... Um, I was watching, um, you know, I was just watching um, the news and just hearing of how Whitney was looking good that night. Whitney looked like she was going to really um, do a triumphant return to the industry as the voice. Whitney's voice um, started a, being eradicated due to um, the usage of drugs and just her not dealing with the personal demons that she didn't want to deal with. <clears throat> Excuse me about that. And um, it was just very sad, just very, very sad. And I think of Whitney Houston all of these years um, and just to know that she had an innate gift and talent and how that gift and talent just went away. And I really believe that she gave up on herself because of the fact that the voice was not um, utilized the way that it was during the 1980s and the 1990s, during her prime. I took her death very hard. I cried for days. And I'm going to tell y'all men, y'all can cry. Just cry, 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 right? Um, because it's as if I knew Whitney. I never met her ever in life, but I felt like I knew her. I dealt with a lot of death throughout the last couple of years. Um, so I, I felt like as if she was a member of my own family. Um, I listened to her music. I loved her music and I still listen and love her music, um, in 2023 going into 2024. You know, and um, I think her life and death was a cautionary tale to remind us that we all have gifts and talents and to use our gifts and talents. Whitney will always be missed by many fans like myself and throughout the musical community. So I would say um, if there's a song that's um, to be played, I would say play Miracle because I cried to Miracle um, and I cried to the image of Whitney when she performed at the 1986 Grammys when she wore her red dress and had that long hair. All right. So that will, that's my reaction to Whitney's death on February 11, 2012. Okay. So I want to thank everyone for the opportunity um, to hear my perspective on her death. And um, I would say always remember Whitney by playing her music because music is a soundtrack of our lives and music is a healer. Okay, so let's continue listening to Whitney and um, continuing to contribute to Whitney's um, legacy, legacies. Okay, so thank you. Thank you, everyone. And thank you, Robert.
my brother and everyone have a great day and a happy new year.
can make an argument that in 1993 Whitney Houston had surpassed Madonna and Janet Jackson as the queen of pop music. November 25th, 1992, The Bodyguard premiered and I took my son's mother. My son was, well, he was born in July, so August, he would have been four and a half months old and of course my parents watched them as I uh, took my uh, son's mother, Missy, to the Whitestone Multiplex Movie Theater up in the Bronx. Back then, you took the 6th train to Zurega Avenue and you walk over there. Now, I, my understanding, because I haven't been in that area in forever and a day, it's that it's an Amazon warehouse. But for many years, I went to the Whitestone Movie Theater more times than any other theater in my lifetime, and so my uh, baby mama, <laughs> the woman I was living with at the time, Missy and I, hopped on a six train, got off Zurega Avenue, and walked to the movie theater to see The Bodyguard, the, the night it premiered, the night before Thanksgiving. Um, I had, and I've talked about this on the Thanksgiving podcast, I had made a tradition of going to see Thanksgiving movies on the afternoon of Thanksgiving in order to kill time before dinner time. But being that uh, my son was a baby, he was only four and a half months old, and my mother was already going to be cooking and we were going to spend Thanksgiving uh, at my mother's. And my parents, my mother and father, because at that point in time, I was living in an apartment right near St. Well, half a block away from St. Mary's Park in the South Bronx. And we only lived like five blocks away from my parents' apartment in the Millbrook, Millbrook Projects on uh, 135th Street and Cypress Avenue. No, it was more than five blocks. It was like seven or eight. Why do we say five blocks? It's more like seven or eight blocks. But anyway... We uh we decided to go Thanksgiving night. That way, uh, Thanksgiving morning, we could just relax and um, wait for the dinner to be done. And um, Missy knew better than to help my mother in the kitchen because a my mother didn't like anybody helping, and b she couldn't stand her ass. <laughs> she couldn't stand Missy's ass. <laughs> and by the way. Yes, we spend the night at my parents' apartment, but this is what I did, ladies and gentlemen, because I respect my parents. I slept in the bedroom that my brother was sleeping in, that I used to sleep in with my brother. And I had Missy and Peter sleep in the living room because I have never in my lifetime slept with a woman in a bed while my parents were uh, together, or even now. My mother has lived with me since my father died in 2000. I got promised my father I would take care of my mother, all right? So my mother has lived with me for 23 years in two different apartments in the South Bronx and Spanish Harlem. 
<clears throat> Not one time has a woman ever spent the night in my apartment in my bed. If they have spent the night, they spent the night in the living room while I slept in my bed because I don't believe in fucking in the presence of my mother or before my parents. To me, no matter how old you are, and I'm 55, she's 76. To me, it's still disrespectful. Well, that that's that's me. Y'all could do whatever fuck y'all want to do. That's me. Anyway, Missy and I went to see the movie the evening of November 25th, 1992. And I'll be honest with y'all. I hated this fucking movie. I, I, I thought the plot was bullshit. I thought the act, Kevin Costner in 1992 was one of the two or three biggest Hollywood stars, male stars on the planet. In 1992, this was before Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington exploded to being two of the biggest actors. This was before John, Johnny Depp was still a TV actor. Will Smith was still a TV actor. You would you could say it was Kevin Costner, Eddie Murphy, Robin Williams. As far as who the three biggest box office movie stars male were in 1992. If I'm missing a few names, early signs of dementia, maybe a few people out there might be screaming a name or two. I don't know. But in my opinion, in 1992, it was Costner. It was Robin Williams. And who was the other guy I mentioned? <laughs> I mentioned a third guy. It was Robin Williams, <laughs> Kevin Costner, and I mentioned somebody, uh, Eddie Murphy. Oh, my God. Were probably the three biggest male movie stars in 1992. Um, uh, soon after, Soon after this, Johnny Depp, Will Smith, and then later on, Leo DiCaprio would surpass them, um, way past them. But in 1992, Kevin Costner was red hot. So this was perfect placement. Now, Lawrence Kasdan wrote this script back in 1975, the, the original Bodyguard movie. He wrote this script back in 1975. And originally, he wanted Diana Ross and Ryan O'Neill when... The movie was uh, when 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 the screenplay was 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 bought when he was hired to develop the movie. Three years later, in nineteen seventy eight, he wanted Ryan O'Neill and Diana Ross, and Ryan O'Neill in nineteen seventy nine seventy eight was was on the same level as Kevin Costner was in nineteen ninety two. Ryan O'Neill recently departed, so. And Diana Ross in 1978 was red hot as both a huge pop star, one of the biggest female pop stars of the 1970s, right up there with Diana Ross in the 19 and Barbara Streisand in the 1970s. And um, Ryan O'Neill, um, Diana Ross both musically and acting-wise, and Ryan O'Neill was red hot. He was a Kevin Costner-like star in 1978. So... It looked like it was a go, but something happened and the movie didn't get developed. Um, I remember when My Bodyguard first came out that uh, rumors were that they were looking at Shaka Khan. I remember reading the old Entertainment Magazine, um, Entertainment Weekly, I believe the name of the magazine was, 
right before the bodyguard came out, and they mentioned that Shaka Khan had been offered the role in the early 80s alongside another actor. I forgot the actor's name, and that was shot down. And then in the mid-80s, Lawrence Kasdan again attempted to uh, bring the movie to the big screen, and that was the first time Whitney Houston, this was right after her debut Smash album came out, she was offered the role originally in 1986 alongside Clint Eastwood, and that didn't pan out. So finally, in 1991, the movie was red-lighted, and Kevin Costner signed to play the bodyguard, and Whitney Houston signed to play the pop star. <sighs> I hated the movie. Um, I was fighting sleep watching the movie. Uh, Missy loved it. Uh, she was sitting there. She was crying at the end when the, the final scene in the whole night. <laughs> I was laughing at her ass like, this movie sucks. It's like every time I took her to see a movie, she loved it. I hated it. I remember I remember uh, a year later, we went to see that. What was the fuck was the name of that movie with um, with um, Demi Moore, Woody Harrelson, and Robert Redford? Oh, I hated that. It's... With the theme song, Ordinary Love. I, I, uh, indecent Proposal. Um, if you want to hear exactly what went on between Miss, Missy and I in that movie theater, check out the Sade Part 3 podcast. Queen Sade Part 3 available on this platform. I go into it. I'm not going to... We have a family audience listening to this podcast, so pretend... I didn't refer to it, but if you want to really hear what happened on this, uh, on the Legends of Sports and Music archives, check out Queen Sade Part 3. Anyway, back to uh, The Bodyguard. After the, after the movie's over, she's, oh, she's, oh, Rob, that was a great movie. How come you didn't like it? You never liked the movies I like. And I'm like, eh. to me, it was mediocre. What you guys would call mid back then, I'd call it, it was half-ass. It was mediocre. Whitney didn't impress me as an actress. I thought she was very, uh, how do you say it, plastic in this movie. And Kevin Costner, who can act his act. Kevin Costner is one of the greatest actors of my lifetime. He's not on my Mount Rushmore, but he's definitely on the precipice of my top 10, if not the bottom half of top 10. Definitely top 15 of the actors of my lifetime. I loved Kevin Costner in the movie with him and Sean Young. What was the name of that movie? Him, Sean Young. And, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. It's my favorite Kevin Costner movie, and I totally forgot the name of the movie. <laughs> what the hell was the name of that movie? It was Kevin Costner. It was Kevin Costner, Gene Hackman, and Sean Young. No Way Out. No Way Out was the name of the movie. Great fucking political thriller. I mean, if you guys have never seen No Way Out, go watch No Way Out. Phenomenal movie. My all-time favorite Kevin Costner movie. And, of course, uh, people remember Kevin Costner in The Untouchables, which was a great movie also out in 1987. Kevin Costner. There was a movie I did take her to see that she hated and I loved a couple years earlier, Revenge. With uh, Kevin Costner and I loved it. I loved it. But the critics hated it. 
And Missy hated it, but I I, I love the movie. I, I love that movie, uh, Revenge. I hated fucking um, The Bodyguard. But anyway, forget what I thought. It's irrelevant. That movie was a spectacular success. A spectacular success. And the soundtrack, just as successful, if not more successful. Ladies and gentlemen. Most of y'all saw the Thriller 40 documentary. Most of y'all listened to my Thriller 40 documentary podcast review. You also, if you haven't, check out my Michael Jackson Thriller podcast I did a couple years ago, also on this platform. I talked about how 1983 and 1984, Michael Jackson had the world on lock with Thriller. Well, in 1993... Whitney Houston had a similar effect. You will never. This year, I know Beyonce's had a great success with the Renaissance tour and the Renaissance album, and she's probably gonna kill it at the at the Grammys. And she's already set the record for most Grammys by any artist in the history of music. <laughs> Bravo. It pales in comparison to the 1993 year that Whitney Houston had. In 1993, Whitney Houston had the number one album. She had two of the biggest hits in music history in Run To You and I Have Nothing. As of this moment, the, the Bodyguard soundtrack is one of only a handful of albums that have sold over 40 million records worldwide. We're talking on that thriller level of financial success, of album selling success. 1993, you couldn't go a half hour on the radio without hearing a Whitney Houston song, whether it was a pop station or an urban black station. Run to you, I have nothing, I'm every woman. Over, I'll, I'll always love you. I have nothing. Run to you and I'm, I'm Every Woman was on the radio at one time or another throughout the entire 1993. Whitney Houston had a spectacular year. I Have Nothing won the Grammy for Best Song. Let me look up the box office numbers for that movie. Might have been the the, the best selling box. Uh, <laughs> Let let's see what the box office did. What did the box office did? Uh. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this how spectacular year Whitney Houston had. She sold over forty million records with the soundtrack. All right, and the bodyguard. With a budget of $25 million. So basically, the budget was the salaries of Kevin Costa and Whitney Houston. Right? <laughs> the rest of the actors probably were paid scale. Okay? $25 million budget. I just looked this up. The movie made over $400 million at the box office. Over $400 million worth of tickets. And if you did that math today, in terms of inflation... 
I'm not even going to calculate it, but I bet you it's close to a billion dollars. That's how massive a star Whitney Houston was in 1993. Ladies and gentlemen, I know you might say, oh, Kevin Costner has something. Yeah, Kevin Costner's played a role in it. But uh, in a movie like The Bodyguard, which was panned by the, panned by the critics, the critics blasted it. They got a bunch of awards, the Golden Raspberries, which are, are awards given out to horrible movies and horrible performances by actors and actresses, all right? Let's say in 1992, uh, Kevin Costner had done that movie with another female co-star, with another, with, a, with another female co-star not named Whitney Houston. You think it would have done $400 million? Over $400 million? It wouldn't have done $100 million. Maybe 50. I don't know. It was Whitney Houston's beauty. It was Whitney Houston's charm. It was Whitney Houston's star power that made that movie an international blockbuster. And it's, a, it's rare that a movie that bad does such phenomenal numbers. We're talking. Let's do the math here, ladies and gentlemen. All right? Let's do the math here. Let's do the math here. We're talking, it made 15 times the budget. If I'm correct with the, with the math, 25, what is 25 times 15? I don't have a calculator uh, 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 near me, but I'm going to do it. 25 times 10 is 250. 25 times 20 is 500. So split the, split the half, 375. So we're talking 16 times. The budget. That movie made a boatload of money. Probably, I'm not looking it up, I don't know. Probably the biggest blockbuster success of a legendary career for Kevin Costner. It made Whitney Houston the biggest star in the pop world at that time. Definitely female-wise and... On the level of a Michael Jackson in 1993. And it led to Whitney Houston getting more acting roles. And when I come back in a few segments, I'll talk about Waiting to Exhale and The Preacher's Wife. On the next segment, I will talk about that. And we're talking the height of Whitney Houston's popularity. From Now, she came out the gate. As a megastar with her debut album. But the peak was between 1992 and 1997. And when I come back in a few segments, I will talk more about the impact that her success had on two great quote-unquote black movies. And we're talking Waiting to Exhale and The Preacher's Wife. We're going to hear more voice notes. We're going to hear selections from the album. I think I'm playing four more songs from the My Bodyguard soundtrack. And then after we play four of those voice notes and those songs, I'll be back and I will talk about The Preacher's Wife and Waiting to Exhale. Hey, what's going on, Robert? Man, it's Larry checking in with you. For your next episode regarding Whitney Houston and what was my reaction? Well, at the time, well, my 
my occupation, I'm a merchant mariner, so I sell uh, commercial shipping, basically. I provide 90% uh, of the world's goods, from the cars, fuel oil, and basically everything else that, that we need in America to, uh, to live, essentially, basically. Um, at the time I was overseas in Yokohama, Japan, I went ashore, you know, shore leave, I thought I got off watching what kind of walking in downtown Yokohama and they had this uh it's like a fair area out downtown. They got rides and they got all kinds of stuff going on. And I just I just heard a bunch of Whitney Houston songs. It was kinda of just odd, you know what I mean? And later on I find out that she died over what that, you know. I don't know, I felt like how everybody else feels kinda of like in shock. Yeah. You never, of course, when some of anybody that was like a celebrity, you know, either they had an ailing uh, disease or whatnot, or some type of ailment health wise, you never know what to expect. You kind of like a shock. You just like, damn, we need Houston down. You know what I mean? We just, this is shocking. Like, to this day, it just feel odd when you listen to the music. You know, just like, damn, man, their voice is just golden. I don't know if I said it before on your on on previous uh, podcast, but her voice is <laughs> not number one of these top three five as far as women, women vocals. It's just like a, a pure voice. It just, it, it's like a, I don't know, it's, it's, it's like a, damn, I can't, it's it just golden. Yeah, that's all I can really say. Voice will never, ever be um, duplicated by any means in the next 100 years, next century. Nobody can ever replace that voice and the impact she had. You know, I just feel like now, you know, if she was still alive, she would be a mentor. She would do a lot of great things with the knowledge that, that she had with the years she had became. You know, just, yeah, I just feel like I everybody else in, in the world feel like I'm in Japan and Whitney Houston songs and, and everybody going about their day and it's just like you know, I didn't really see a lot of people's reaction but just on me personally, just, just hearing that and you know, just hearing the music and just hearing the news and then of course, you know, you see the press and everybody else how they were affected by it. It was it was sad, man. I mean, what a memory, what a what a legend. Icon in music, period. Yeah, man. I was in Japan. And I heard Winnie Houston died in 2012, so. I'm sad, but uh, her music lives on. The music will forever get played, you know, sampled or whatnot, just like our microphones, you know, just. just, just uh, too early. I like it really best to describe that, man. That's all I had to really say about Whitney, man. God bless her and her kids, you know, just everything with her family. Family went through a lot the last decade, so, you know, prayers and blessings for them, prayers and blessings for everybody out in the park. I mean, that's listening to the podcast episode, and prayers and blessings to you, Rob, and happy holidays to your family and everybody else listening. Y'all take it easy and be safe.
The night Whitney died, I'm not going to say I was surprised, but it was just a very, very uh, kind of surreal moment. Um, summit of sadness, summit of immediately um, looking her up once again and going through her life story uh, online and going through her come up and all the albums and the songs that she made. I know my wife was very um, bothered by it. Um, at the same time, with the downward spiral that she was going through <clears throat> over the years, um, I'm not going to say that you got your uh, in a position to s predict her um, her death or her passing away, but um, you kind of figure that at some point um, it would happen and it would just be another tragic um, R&B um, legend pop in her early days. Um, legend just uh, passing away uh, way, way, way too early. Um, I'm hoping that all those who are listening to this uh, pod by Rob uh, have given her her flowers over the years while she was alive. I know in her early career, when she did a lot of pop, there was a lot of people who did not, um, who took her for granted. A lot of people as well who weren't pleased with her. I mean, there was a moment in time when she was called uh, Whitey Houston because of her, I guess, choice of genre back then. But very little power that a lot of these black artists had, especially back in the 70s and 80s, you had to be steered in the direction of what the white execs wanted you to be in. So I didn't, I didn't really put too much blame on her at that time. But obviously, towards the late 80s and getting into the 90s and beyond, I was very pleased with the direction, the, the change of direction that she went into. And we got the best of Whitney. We got the best of Whitney at the Super Bowl. We got the best of Whitney in a lot of the concerts um, that she sung in. Um, Whitney obviously able to go with the times. It wasn't any time where she wasn't able to adjust late 90s into the 2000s. A Rose is still a Rose. No, no sorry, that's not her song. Uh, another one, I just I forget it at the moment. But just able in to go with the times. But just back to that day again, very, very, um, very, very sad and and then immediately you go back to uh, Michael's death and Prince and you don't realize what you have you don't realize what you're listening to until it's gone and when they're gone it's, that's it so those who are still here whether it's family or friends or some of the music artists that are from what we grew up on. We need to appreciate them, we need to play their music, and we need to give them their flowers. 
So blessings to all those who are listening. Thanks, Rob, for allowing me to contribute once again. Happy New Year to those who are listening once again. And hopefully you guys can reach your goals throughout the upcoming year and good health. And remember family. That's very important. Family, if you're having issues, try and mend them if you can. Okay, take care. God bless. you
What's good, everybody? This is Jay. Everybody's favorite little brother. <laughs> Everybody's favorite nephew. However you want to call it, I'm fine with it. Um, I want to give a shout out to Uncle Rob for once again allowing me to get on the Legends of Sports and Music podcast. Allow me to share my thoughts anytime I want. And today, I'm here to talk about the night Whitney Houston passed away. Now, I remember that date vividly. All right, that was what, 2012? That was a Saturday. And this was February. It was February 11th, I think. Yeah. And my mother's birthday is February 4th. Right? So, my mother is a, is a, is a Whitney Houston fan. She loves Whitney Houston. Right? Like, me and her, her fa- my favorite Whitney Houston song is because of my mother. Saving all my love for you. Right? She loves that song, so naturally, in a sense, I kind of ad- adopted it as my favorite song. You know what I mean? But I remember being upstairs, and we had like this old, this old model TV. In a sense, it was it was a it's a small TV, and they got one of them like, kind of like the ass of the, the ass of the TV in the back. It's like a little lump out in the back. If that makes any sense, if anybody could uh, picture what I'm describing, hopefully. So I'm upstairs watching watching TV or whatever, and I'm like flipping through channels. So as I'm flipping through channels and stuff, I just I just so happen to just land on CNN. I don't really even like I don't even like watching news and stuff like that, but I just so happen to land on CNN and it kept saying like Whitney Houston had passed away, and I never I, I to this day I never forgave CNN for this. Maybe I'm remembering it wrong, but I remember them showing pictures like. On, on live news broadcast, they showing pictures of her body in the tub. That shit fucked me up. Um, neither here nor there. So as I'm watching all of this, I immediately run downstairs and tell my mother. Now, the problem was my mother was asleep because she came home from work. And the rule is you do not wake my mother up when she's asleep from work. You don't do that. Right? If, if you do, somebody better be, you know, it better be something catastrophic going on. But in this case, I thought I thought this was like uh, something catastrophic. I had to, I have to tell my mom. So I I woke up. I shook up. I was like, Ma, Ma, Ma. And she's like, You know what? Whitney Houston passed away. She, she got a what? And she, her TV was off. My mother had a TV in her room, of course. So she she turns on the TV and. I'm just watching my mother and her entire face. I, I don't even, I don't know if I can describe it in words. It was the most, it was, it was shocking to see how my mother reacted to that. Like she was extremely sad. Right. And not to say that I've never seen my mother show that kind of emotion. Cause I think on the last one I met, I talked about Michael Jackson. I spoke a little bit on how my mother felt, but Whitney Houston was like, her girl, you know what I mean? Like she, she loves Whitney Houston, so that that kind of she she was she felt extremely bad. Like any negative emotion you you could feel, or any any somber emotion rather. That that's that that's what that was on my mother's face. That's what she was showing. And, whew, that was a sad day, and, man. And then on top of that. 
few years later, I think her daughter passed away. Really just his daughter, Bobby Christina. And that messed that really messed me up. Because Bobby Christina and I, we share the same birthday. She's older than me by a lot, but we share the same birthday. That shit messed me up too. But man, just thinking about that right now is bringing up weird, weird, weird memories for me. Man. But Whitney Houston, the voice, Newark, New Jersey's finest, Newark's one and only, Nippy. Rest in peace, miss.
What's up, y'all? This is JR from the R&B Representatives, and wow. So we are going to be talking about the day that you found out that Whitney Houston passed. You know, it was so crazy because that Friday, uh, that day before, um, I was at work and I just felt like playing Whitney all day. Like I was just playing actually like her 87 album. And, you know, me as an R&B representative, I do give that album a lot of fever. Even though it's classic, it had a big impact, but I give it a lot of fever because I knew what Clive was trying to do with it. You know what I mean? But now me realizing he had to do that to cross Whitney over, which made it easier for a lot of, a little easier for our black artists to kind of cross over. Michael did it. You know what I'm saying? Tina Turner did it. But once Whitney did it, it was like, oh, my God. It was just such a huge impact on many women that came after her. You know what I mean? So I was listening to that album and I was listening so emotional and I kept playing it over and over and over. And I just, you know, I like that that song, even though I give the album a little bit of fever, but I love so emotional. And Whitney loves that song, too. You know what I mean? You could tell she felt comfortable on it and it was a song that she was cool with. You know what I mean? And, you know, the the note at the end where she hits, you know what I'm saying? I ain't going to do it, y'all, because I do not sound like no Whitney, never will, never has been, whatever. <laughs> but she hits that note and it just felt good for some reason. And I just was playing that over and over. And then I got home and then I actually started playing the Whitney album on vinyl and it was feeling so good, like just the Lonely Talking Again, the Manhattans cover that she did, and For the Love of You, the Isley covers that she did, and I Love Where You Are, which is a gem from Kashif, and I was just playing that, and then that next day, my best friend loves the rock, so we was going to see Jumanji, and I just remember us in there, and I just remember my Twitter just blowing up. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? But I was like, I'll check it once the movie is over. So the movie was over. I look on Twitter and everybody was like, yo, Whitney Houston died. And at first I was like, that's some bullshit. It's, it's, it's a host. I don't believe it. I just, I, I don't. And it was so, it was, everybody was saying RIP to Whitney, RIP to Whitney. And I was like, please do not let this be true. Do not let this be true. And when I got into the car and I just turned on the radio, they were playing Save It On My Love For You. And right then and there, I knew. I was like, it's true. And I remember afterwards, I kind of started shedding some tears a little bit. You know what I mean? It was just like, whoa, like this is real. Because we know like the the things that she was dealing with and, you know, the addiction and things like that. And it was like you were hearing what was going on during Grammy week and things like that. But it was just like, nah, this can't be like Whitney Houston is no longer here. Like this woman has really impacted a whole generation and impacted my life just from her voice. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, after that, it was just like me, my best friend, um, my other best friend, 
and we was just in a car and it was kind of like quiet. Like nobody knew what to say. It was like, we just, just saw Jumanji, which was, it was a funny, you know, a little funny thing with Kevin Hart, you know, being extra to catch it. Um, and, and, and The Rock, it had some funny moments. So it was like, we didn't even want to talk about that anymore. And you just sat in the car and you just heard they was playing after that, playing Save It On My Love For You. They played uh, You Give Good Love. And you just listen on how clear and how she was really one of the best singers ever. You know what I mean? And you had Aretha Franklin who said she was the best voice to ever pick up a mic. And Aretha, you can look at her as like top dog as vocalist. And for her to say that Whitney Houston was the best voice to ever pick up a mic, that just tells you right there. Like that's an Aretha, Miss Aretha Franklin that don't like nobody give Whitney that credit. It was just like crazy. And then I just, you know, just I started thinking and I started thinking of, you know, the things that this woman had to endure, the shots that she had to take. You know what I'm saying? To be the first out there. You know what I mean? Because if we going to be real, she ended up getting bigger than Aretha. She was bigger than that. She was our Michael as far as vocalists. You know what I mean? Michael is a vocalist too. But as far as women, she was that girl. And she inspired everybody after her. And it was just like, you think about her getting booed at Soul Training. You think about all that and you like, why? Why? Just because she was the first? And it was like, after then, it was like, I'm not even going to even think about the negatives anymore. Because I started getting mad at my own community because of how we thought Whitney sold out and she was to the, you know, her music was for the whites and things like that. And that just, it, you start thinking like, yo, we were wrong for that. Because to be honest with you, I think Whitney was broken after that. She was never really the same because she like, yo, I'm doing this whole crossover thing to open doors for other black women after me. And my people think I'm selling out. And that, I don't think Whitney ever came back from that. So she was always trying to let people know, y'all, I'm from Newark. I'm this, I'm that. And it, it, it kind of, it was like, she was already dealing with that. And then her family issues and all of this kind of stuff. And it's just like, damn, you know what I mean? And it's just like, even though you be like, yeah, you wish she wouldn't have started using and things like that. But like she said on Oprah, she was doing a lot of it to hide the pain of the industry, family, like all of that. You know what I mean? But Whitney is my top and my top three favorite singers of all time. And nobody can never deny that voice. You know what I mean? Nobody will ever sing the Star Spangled Banner like her. Nobody will ever sing Greatest Love of All like her. Sorry, George Benson, but nobody will ever sing it like her. Nobody will ever sing I Will Always Love You. Even Dolly Parton, like, I'm not even singing that song anymore. You know what I mean? So, one, like, just one of the greatest voices we will ever hear, ever. And, you know, now when I listen to her songs, it has a warmness to it, even though it did... But it's just like, damn, Whitney's no longer here. 
And then and then it started to make me think about all the one the girls she embraced afterwards. She embraced Brandy, Monica, Aaliyah, Mary, um, you know, Tony, uh, uh, you know, Faith, Kelly Price, like Tweet, Missy, like she embraced all of these girls because she realized she opened them doors and she had nobody and was just giving these girls like gems on how to really just deal with this industry and understand how hard it is. And the best Whitney video to me is when she did the video when Brandy first met her. And, you know, Brandy ran away from her. And everybody is like, oh, Brandy was so, you know, she was so happy to meet her idol and things like that. But my favorite part of that video, just to show that Whitney was a real one, when she looked at Brandy and said, how you handling it all? Who would ask anything like that? Because she knew what Brandy was dealing with at a young age. And she wanted to know how you handling it. I, I've been where you've been. You know what I mean? And just... Whitney was one of one, man. And, you know, just RIP to her. And I'm so glad that Rob is doing an episode just to talk about, you know, you know, where you were when she passed. But it also makes you just think about memories and and things. And and again, I just want everybody to just start thinking about what Whitney's impact that she made on this world. And she obviously did. You know what I mean? So thank you, Rob, for letting me run my mouth for almost 10 minutes. But R.I.P. to Whitney Houston. There will never be another. She is one of one. Peace, y'all.
Now, you're probably wondering why I haven't mentioned Whitney and Bobby Brown's marriage. Well, I will talk about that on the next segment. I'll have two more segments after this in talking about uh, the rest of Whitney Houston's career, including her toxic marriage to the legendary Bobby Brown. But right now, sticking to the height of her career. Right now, like I mentioned, we're at the point of the career of her career, Whitney Houston's career, where she is at the height of her popularity and it continued with waiting to exhale, waiting to exhale, which was directed by the legendary Forrest Whitaker, ladies and gentlemen. Not only is Forrest an iconic actor, he's a phenomenal director as well. Of course, the screenplay by the legendary author Terry McMillan. She brought her uh, she brought her award-winning novel, her best-selling novel to the big screen, and Forrest Whitaker directed a masterpiece. As Bad as the bodyguard was, that's how phenomenal Waiting to Excel was. Whitney was plastic in the bodyguard. In Waiting to Exhale, she embodied a woman that had been hurt, misused, mistreated by men her entire life. To a T. Now, I believe, as my ex-girlfriend Antoinette believed, and um, I bought this bootleg video cassette. Uh, this was right around. This movie came out also around Thanksgiving, 1995. And I'm trying to remember. Was it? No, actually, this movie came out right before Christmas, 1995. I bought the bootleg video cassette. The day it came out, the Friday it came out, I bought the bootleg uh, video cassette and I brought it to Antoinette's house. Now, at this point in time, I had moved I had moved out of Canarsie. I had lived in Canarsie. Antoinette lived in, in Flatlands, which, if you know Brooklyn, Canarsie and Flatlands are connecting neighborhoods. She lived on 45th Street and Avenue M. I lived on 85th Street and Avenue M., 40 blocks apart and by car, 10 minutes maybe with traffic, right? But at that point in time, I had moved back to my uh, parents' house with my son because I had problems with my female roommate. And I have yet to talk about this year in full detail. I have briefly mentioned it, but I had a female roommate from... January of 1995 to December of 1995. So basically, for the entire year of, of 1995, my son and I lived with a Jamaican younger woman. She was younger than me. Um, we had both had we had both just graduated from undergrad at John Jay College, and there was no there was no uh, there was no physical thing. I was dating that twin at the time. Um, Sonia was a lesbian. Well, actually, she was bisexual because she was dating this uh, Jewish pre-med student. Actually, I think he was a med student at the time. He had already graduated from John Jay College. 
And um, she also dabbled in eating tuna. <laughs> Disregard that comment for the older people out there that, that want to listen to a family-oriented podcast here today as we celebrate the life of Whitney Houston. But um, the irony of that uh, message I just meant, mentioned hopefully went over people's heads. Anyway, so... Um, she wasn't paying her share of the bills in that apartment. The cable bill had gone up to over $300 at one point in September. She was supposed to take care of the, the cable bill was supposed to be one of her bills that she paid and she totally left it alone. I'm shocked they didn't cut us off. I had to go, I had to go to cable vision and make a couple of pairs. I said, look, I'm, I said to myself, I'm pay this off and then I'm, I'm fucking leaving. But I'll talk all about that on another podcast because a lot of shit happened uh, while I was there. And um, <laughs> it was a wild, it was a wild 11 months. Um, thank God my son was with me at the time. My son at the time when we moved in was two and a half. And when we moved out was three years old, three and a half years old. When we moved almost three and a half years old, when we moved out of there. So uh, thank God that uh, I had my son because if I didn't have my son, I probably would have been involved in some real wild shit with uh those uh lesbian friends of hers. <laughs> Look, I digress. Let's get back to Whitney Houston. Anyway, so on December 18th of 1995, I moved back in with my parents. My son and I left. And on December 22nd, I went on my way to... Uh, Back to Brooklyn to hang out at, at, at Antoinette's house. I picked up in Harlem, 125th Street. And those who know remember that on 125th Street between Lenox Avenue and St. Nick Avenue, there would be vendors selling all types of stuff. Bootleg CDs, bootleg videotapes. It's where I bought the vast majority of my Khalid Muhammad video and DVD collection. I have several speeches of the legendary late great god who left us way too early at the age of 52 same age my father died four years apart him and the great khalid muhammad i got to meet khalid muhammad at tupac's harlem memorial in september of 1996 magnificent presence magnificent speaker of all the leaders of all the men in my lifetime since i could since since i was coherent 1973, 1974, what I remember. He was the most consistent black leader, and he stuck to his guns, and it's a damn shame that his vision wasn't seen by more people. And I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I'm not going to talk politics on here anymore. You you believe what you want to you believe. I'm not going to... Uh, discussing anymore anyway uh man I, I got off topic anyway back to uh god lord how did i get to oh yeah 125th street so on 125th street there were dudes that selling bootleg tapes and there was a bootleg tape several copies of the bodyguard so i bought one i got i got a got back on the train on until now i was staying with my parents on a 125th street and I mean, 135th Street, Cypress Avenue, their apartment in the Millbrook Projects. 
Took the Crosstown 33 bus to 135th and Lenox, which would leave you right across the street from Pan Pan. I talked about that restaurant that was burnt to the ground in 2004. The same restaurant that you saw in the You Don't Know My Name, Alicia Keys video. Okay. And I would catch the two train. Now, I knew the bootleg guys were going to be out there on 125th. You, sometimes you had them on 135th. But that morning they didn't, so I got on the train, got off on 125th Street, took it one stop to 125th Street, Lenox, and right before I hit St. Nick, there was a dude with a bootleg copy of Waiting to Excel. I bought, I gave him my $5, I got the Waiting to Excel, I hopped, I walked back over to Lenox Avenue, hopped back on the two train, took it to the last stop, Flatbush Avenue, in which Antoinette met me at the train station as she was using her father's car she drove me uh to her apartment and um i loved it that day because my parents got were watching well my mother my father might have been helping because my father used to work the graveyard shift at the homeless shelter as a porter back then so my father was probably there as well but my parents were watching my three-year-old son peter while i spent the damn near entire day that day at Antoinette's house. Uh, we were intimate for a few hours, and then her best friend Izzy from a few blocks away came by, and then her cousins came by, and now I'm sitting with four women watching Waiting to Exhale, and we're watching a movie, and you know the story about Waiting to Exhale. You've seen the movie, and you know the hell these women were put through by the men in this movie and every time something happened they would look at me i'm like why are you looking at me typical man huh <laughs> and izzy would be like see antoinette i bet you have arguments like that with robert and antoinette was antoinette was like robert and i don't argue we debate we don't argue and i started laughing and I was like, no, we don't have arguments because when she gets mad, I just hang up the phone. <laughs> or I walk out the apartment. <laughs> Side note, Antoinette and I would break up nine days later on New Year's Eve. And I'll talk all about that on a future podcast. Um, <laughs> so, Whitney was phenomenal in waiting to exhale she was tremendous as was all the the entire cast even the men were great we saw the great wendell pierce in one of his first major film roles he was great a uh, leon as a sleazebag was great uh oh my man my mother's crush what's my man's name gregory hines was phenomenal in that movie but the best actors in the movie Whitney was great. Angela Bassett was better than Whitney, and she should be. Angela Bassett, one of the greatest female actors of my, my lifetime. Okay, one of the greatest actresses in the history of motion picture. So she better be better than Whitney Houston in a great movie. The best male actor, and Gregory Hines was great. Wendell Pierce was great. Leon was great. Dennis Haysbert was great. These are heavyweights. These are black Heavyweight actors. The best actor in the movie, male actor. 
and he only appeared on the screen for five minutes, in my opinion, was the legendary Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes was spectacular. Amazing movie. And when the movie ended, you know, her friends didn't want to leave. They wanted to sit there and debate with me about how men could treat women like this. And I'm like, I'm not speaking for the whole uh, male race. I'm just one dude. What, what are you talking about? And, and, and you could tell that several of the issues Antoinette and I had the two years that we had been dating that they that she was telling her cousins and her best friend about because they were hinting at things that she was upset about with me in this uh discussion about how men treat women specifically black men treating black women and I'm like look it's a movie it's a movie about these four women that uh, have been dogged by men. Look, I can't speak for all the men. I'm going to just tell you one thing. That young woman right there, your friend, your cousin, I love that woman. All right? I do the best I can. I try and do the best I can. Um, that's all I, That's all a man can do. And they look at me like, hey, look at me sucking their teeth. West Indian style. Y'all know the. <laughs> My West Indian sisters out there, they, they know what I'm talking about when y'all suck your teeth. Men do it too. West Indian men do it too. Um, But man, Whitney was just phenomenal. And she brought up. I think she was channeling whatever problem she was having with Bobby into this movie. And she knocked it out of the park. And quickly, let me talk. Let's talk about the preacher's wife. Again, a tremendous performance. Came out a year later, Christmas of 1996. This was an incredible movie. I loved the preacher's wife. The preacher's wife. And it was the first major role for Courtney B. Vance, who played Whitney Houston's husband. And, of course, Denzel. I didn't like Denzel in this movie. Uh, Denzel Denzel pissed me. I don't think it was his acting. I think it was the role he played. He played this angel that was supposed to bring Courtney B. Vance and Whitney Houston's character together. Because Courtney B. Vance was this minister who was having trouble with his church. And it was affecting his marriage to Whitney Houston's character. Uh, once again, we had, I believe, the legendary Gregory Hines was in this movie. Oh, I mean, ladies and gentlemen, Gregory Hines, one of the most underrated actors in the history of television, one of the greatest despians in the history of entertainment. The man was a legendary dancer, a legendary actor, and he could sing his ass off. Check out his duet. With Luther Vandross, I talked all about it on the Luther Vandross Tribute Pod, my most listened to podcast on the legends of sports and music, and it's not even close. A distant second is Keith Sweat's Make It Last Forever Tribute Podcast. I highly recommend the Luther Vandross lovers out there to check out that podcast. You'll see what I mean. Um, Courtney B. Vandross, of course, Jennifer Lewis, the legend played Whitney's mother, but Denzel, who played the angel Dudley, 
was supposed to bring, and I believe the preacher's wife was a remake of a movie. Uh, it wasn't called. It was something wife. The the something wife that was made several years ago. My I think Jimmy Stewart was in it. I don't know. You guys could quote me. You guys could correct me if and, and quote me later on. Let me know. But uh, correct me later on if I'm wrong. But um, matter of fact, let me look that up. I'm thinking it was a remake of. Yes, it was a remake of the movie the Bish the Bishop's Wife, and no, it was not. It was not. Uh, it was not Jimmy Stewart. It was Cary Grant. It was Cary Grant who was the star of that movie. Anyway, back to the Preacher's Wife. I love this movie. You had Whitney singing. You had Lionel Richie, whom another person my mother had a huge crush on, and when I brought the, the bootleg copy of this movie over to my to my mother for her to watch it she was like oh lionel so handsome and my father starts a smirking yeah 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 you always like that motherfucker <laughs> but uh lana richie it was phenomenal in the small role he had it was a great movie and what i hated about and i keep circling around it so let me get to the crux of why i hate it Denzel's character so much I hated Denzel's character so much because he was cock blocker he was dirty macking he fell in love with Whitney's character and he's supposed to be there on God's behalf to bring this couple together and now he's flirting with her he wants to take her out and she's beginning to fall for Dudley despite the fact that she's married to the good reverend played by Courtney Vance but eventually, the angel came to his senses and put them together, and it was a happy ending. But, uh, you know, I know Denzel was in the movie for Star Power, but anybody could have played that role. That's, that was one of the roles, one of the few roles Denzel had that uh, it's not memorable. It's not memorable. Whitney acted her ass off, and now, at this point in time, Whitney is on a phenomenal run of movies. She's had three incredible successes. One one financial, two critical. Each movie had Oscar, uh, Grammy-nominated songs um, because in, um, I believe, Shoop Shoop won the award, the Grammy Award for Best R&B Song. I believe in you and me, a great remake of the Four Tops legendary classic on the Preacher's Wife soundtrack. Also, she had classic Christmas songs on that album. Whitney Houston was on a phenomenal run. The Waiting to Excel soundtrack sold over 10, 12 million copies worldwide. Whitney is at the top of her game. Ladies and gentlemen, when I come back, I will talk about the fall of Whitney Houston. Right now, we're at the ultimate peak of her career. Soon after, the bottom, the bottom will fall out. And we'll talk more about that in a few segments. We're going to hear music from both the soundtracks of Waiting to Exhale and The Preacher's Wife. More voice notes, and I'll be back. I'll be back for two more segments. The first segment, I will talk about the toxicity of the Whitney Houston-Bobby Brown marriage and 
how it didn't help in the downfall of Whitney Houston as a superstar, as the queen of pop. And then the final segment, I will come back and talk about the day or the night that I found out about Whitney Houston and my reaction. And we will continue now to listen to more voice notes commemorating the day that Whitney Houston died. Oh, wow. Um, the night that Whitney Houston left us, um, I think it was 2012, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's crazy how when I think of my childhood memories, you know, of course, you know, there was the fun moments, you know, the times where you cried, <laughs> the times when you got whooped, the times you got punished, the times you got grounded. Um, and then you have that moment where you know exactly where you was when, say, a Michael Jackson passed. I know exactly where I was. Um, that's one of my earliest functioning childhood memories. Um, I remember my cousin was visiting and my grandmother had called and let, to let me know. I didn't have a phone at the time, but it was, yeah, that was a hard day in itself. Um, but when Whitney died, it was different because, um, only different because I wasn't as too familiar with her music. I wasn't as too familiar with, you know, what she looked like for real. But I do remember hearing her name I remember when she got honored uh, some kind of Lifetime Achievement Award. I think it was, it had to be one of those, one of the awards shows. I don't remember if it was BET or uh, NAACP Image, but she got honored and I heard that name. I think it was Gabrielle Union that said, ladies and gentlemen, Wendy Houston. That's the first time I heard that name. And, uh, you know, I remember when she came, when she came out with I Look To You. I remember hearing, hearing that on the radio all the time on our gospel radio. And so I, I would, you know, you know that I was just, other than that, I would, I wasn't hearing her music around the house or on the radio or anything like that. Um, it might have been like before she passed. I think I heard "Saving All My Love for You" on the radio one night, but I, I didn't match the name with the voice. Um, but the night that Whitney passed um, takes me back to me being grounded. I was grounded that that uh, during that month of February. Uh, because I got it, cause I uh, got a C in language arts. You know, I was kind of, um, I don't, know, I was kind of trying to fit in with like the the bad kids at school, and that took me in a bad route, and I ended up, you know, getting like two C's on a on a progress report, and I was grounded for a month. Um, but when Whitney Houston died, uh, I was I think I was washing dishes in the kitchen, um, and my dad had on the news. And it broke out that Whitney Houston had passed. Um, and I remember it being like right before the Grammys. But granted, I wasn't allowed to watch the Grammys. <laughs> but, you know, when Whitney passed, you know, my dad, you know, sat me down and we watched the whole news report, the whole news flash. Uh, we, we were on CNN. Don Lemon, John, uh, Don Lemon was, uh, you know, breaking the news. And, you know, dad was my dad was just sitting there just shocked, man. And, uh, you know, I remember him telling me about Bobby and Whitney and, you know, and I was trying to piece everything together with, the, you know, the news report and seeing what happened. And, um, yeah, that was a hard night because, you know, it 
was like, man, Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston leaving us three years apart like that was just, yeah, man. Like, I was, I was 11. I was 11. So I, I, yeah, it was a, it was such a weird, such a weird time for us. Um, yeah, I, it's, it's still kind of hard to, to accept, man, you know. And I remember Michael Jackson was 50, you know, Whitney was only 48. And I was realizing how young that was, you know, bringing down what my dad was telling me. I was like, man, that's young. Like, yeah, I, I just didn't know. And, um, yeah, it was hard to accept, but, but you know, granted, um, man, during that, during that time, you know, Grant, you know, I was grounded, right? But the only time, the one day of that month in which I was allowed to watch TV was Whitney's funeral. Uh, I was definitely allowed to watch that. And, uh, you know, that was such a beautiful funeral. It was one of my favorite celebrity funerals. Uh, along with Aretha's, <laughs> um, and I still haven't watched Michael's funeral, but that's neither here nor there. That's kind of hard for me to to really watch. But um, yeah, man. Uh, the night Whitney died, it was uh, it was it was sad. You know, I learned. I mean, you know, I learned all. I mean, you know, like her most essential songs. I mean, they they played. I want to dance with somebody. They played. You know, I will always love you, and that was my musical introduction to the voice and the face mixed together um they talked about the bodyguards era um you know i remember her name uh being brought up uh some gospel artist was being mentioned and uh oh milton begum he was director of the georgia bass choir who featured on the preacher's wife and they mentioned that Whitney houston was in the movie and uh yeah i mean so i so throughout that whole week you know you know whether it was the radio or you know if I was glancing, you know, at the TV secretly, you know, if my sister was watching it, right, or if my dad was watching it, I would be like upstairs in the corner trying to peep, trying to peep the TV. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was just soaking everything related to Whitney in some way, form, or fashion. You know, the first album, "You Give Good Love," you know, was my jam. You know, um, uh, and I hate to say that, you know, if not for Whitney passing, I. Would, you know, I mean, I, f- I feel like I would have found her music for me to enjoy eventually. But, you know, sadly, her her passing kind of expedited the whole process. So I got into her music a little bit, you know, earlier and later at the same time. Um, but even though uh, Whitney's not here with us anymore, she's still with us in spirit. Her music lives on. And I'm grateful and thankful that, you know, the music that she left outlives us all and you know even the movies that she left with waiting to exhale and um and the movies that she produced um and the lineage that she um created you know along came mariah along came the brandies along came the monicas um that that continued this lineage of um of influential female singers um yeah um so her 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 legacy and her career you know even though even though in the midst of other things she went through it was not in vain um she's still being an inspiration today and i'm forever thankful for that and uh we love you whitney rest in peace everyone falls in love sometimes sometimes it's wrong 
Brother Rod, peace, peace. Man, Whitney Houston. Oh, man. So, real quick side note. Like, my wife is a huge, man, every woman in my family, not just my wife. My mom, my auntie, my grandma, my wife, my sisters, everybody's a fan of Whitney Houston, man. Uh, Arguably the purest voice ever in the history of music. Also, you know, symmetrically, when you look at her, Winnie Houston and her peak was probably one of the most beautiful women naturally ever to live, ever to be famous. Um, somebody who you look at and you see was like damn near born, 
do what it was that she was doing. I couldn't picture Whitney Houston doing anything other than what it was that she did as far as being a singer, celebrity, you know, someone who was known worldwide famous. Um, Whitney Houston passed away. I remember my wife and I, you know, we weren't married yet, but, you know, when it happened, you know, she was devastated. That's the main thing that kind of sticks out to me. She was just completely devastated by that. Um, you know, obviously, I know, you know, my mom was pretty devastated by that as well. But the thing that kind of sticks out to me specifically about somebody like Whitney Houston is that there's a connection that everybody has. I think she was one of those rare uh, pop stars that transcended everything it was that she was doing. You know what I'm saying? There wasn't a corner of the earth where nobody didn't know a song by Whitney Houston. Nobody didn't know who she was. It's just rare for people like that to exist in this space and have that kind of impact. Uh, yeah, losing Whitney Houston definitely was uh, was devastating, man. You know what I'm saying? As far as our black celebrities go and, and all of that stuff right there. Um, I think right after she passed, my wife went out and bought or repurchased her first album. I'm pretty sure my mom went out and bought the greatest hits. It's just, man, like, you know, timeless, timeless music. Uh, but, yeah, that's all I got, brother Rob. Peace, peace. Apologies for uh, sending this in late. Be safe. Talk to you soon. I'm out of here. Why does it hurt so bad? Why do I feel so sad? Thought I was over you But I keep crying when I don't love you So why does it hurt so bad? I thought I had let you go so why does it hurt me so? I gotta get you out of my head It hurts so
Houston died is a night that is very hard for me to forget. I actually remember it quite vividly, to be honest. This weekend in particular really stood out because on Friday, February 10th, 2012, that was my mother's 55th birthday. And we we all went out to, to eat dinner with her, her children, her grandchildren, um, her best friend, like her godchildren, nieces and nephews, like a lot of us. <laughs> and we had good food and great laughs. And we didn't have anything to drink because we knew we were going to the Elks Lodge that she was a member, a part of, to celebrate. Because every year at that point, they were having aquarium bashes. So she wanted to celebrate her birthday and... Also, she had joined that Elks Lodge because my grandfather, who had passed, was, like, um, just amazing. He gave back to the community so much in every holiday for decades. Like, he, he was giving children a Christmas and all that. So my mom wanted to keep his name and legacy alive and pay homage to him. So we were definitely showing up to support Um. So anyway, we went to the Elks Lodge for some drinks, some more food, and the dance the night away, and we did exactly that. We had an amazing time, and we had so much fun that, honest to God, February 11th, that Saturday, by 9 a.m., we all had been talking and texting one another and decided we were going to do it again. Like, we were going to go out, <clears throat> excuse me, have some 
some food, whatever, like to have some drinks and just celebrate my mom. And she kept saying, you know, she was excited. She kept saying, yeah, you know, I only turned 55 once. And then February 11th, I had to call my adopted father to wish him a happy birthday and make plans to see him later on that month because he was residing in Maryland at the time. So about a half hour later, I was combing my hair and I get a call from my good friend. And one thing about he and I, we shared the same passion for music and same love. And when it came to Whitney Houston, my bragging rights was she's from Jersey. She's Jersey born and raised. She's a Jersey native and he's from New York. So his bragging rights were that they shared the same birthday. So that was his, you know, Leo warrior. So, you know, when he called me, he, um, he said, are you sitting down? Cause I think you should take a seat. And I'm like, wow, this is serious. What's going on? And he says, did you hear about Whitney Houston? So anytime before that, like, you know, you hear something like, ah, whatever, like you, you don't believe it. It doesn't, it didn't sit and never resonated until this night. Like when he said it, I knew it was real. And my heart just sank in my chest because I'm like, wow, not her. And in my mind, I'm like, man, she's so young. Like, but also it was like I lost an auntie, like a close one, you know, not a, you know, not a great aunt. Not a great, great aunt, not the aunt that you never see, but the aunt that you look forward to walking through that door because she's bringing some good food for the holidays or she's just bringing a good spirit and some good vibes, you know, or she's dressed real nice, you know, like that kind of thing. And I just immediately went and just started reminiscing. Like, I will remember my mom braiding my hair and um, I'm every woman being played in the background and her, you know, me asking my mom, why is she saying Shaka Khan? And my mom like, because that's her song. Like, you know, and my sister and my mother and I singing in the car to Heartbreak Hotel. Um, and my mom singing lead and my sister singing Kelly Price. And I'm singing Faith Evans ad-libs and stuff. So, like, all those memories are standing in front of the TV singing Shoop. Uh, is it is it called exhale or shoot in, from the waiting to exhale um soundtrack or even watching waiting to exhale growing up like I'm thinking that all these memories are flashing through my mind you know and how I had to cover my eyes and close my ear no close my ears and cover my <laughs> close my eyes and cover my ears during you know a certain part you know because that's what parents did back then but I'm just remembering all those things and the only thing I can gather is like dang I always like admire her. I always thought that she was beautiful and amazing and astonishing. And it's different, like growing up and wanting to be Jenna Jackson. It's, it's different than that. And it's different than, you know, looking at Aaliyah, wanting to be that girl. It was different. It was like, I couldn't describe it then, but I guess looking back at it now, what I seen in her was strength and maybe resilience. And she just was like, you know, bold and beautiful and just authentic, you know? 
And it didn't matter the rumors that I heard about her growing up because it was like she just always was with me. And even watching her on Being Bobby Brown, like we laughed, but we loved it. It wasn't like laughing at her. It was just like she's so joyful, you know, in spite of whatever, you know. And to this day, it still hurts because it's like we really lost a piece of us. So I um, I got off the phone with my friend and I called my mother to break the news to her and she could not believe it but it threw a damper on us so bad that all of us that were going out that night decided we were going to just stay in like that's how much her death impacted us you know and it you know I just (laughs) to this day I just still can't believe that like her death was so untimely that such a beautiful soul like that I don't even know personally touched me the way she touched me and I just was in the stores immediately after buying the greatest hits and listening to her on my phone like nonstop. and I um I don't want to ramble on so I'm gonna just cut it short because I couldn't really go on and on about Whitney um but I will say the last movie that came out for her Oh, God, what is it called? I, I forgot what it's called, but it's the, the newest one. I think it has dance in the title. One thing I appreciate is I appreciate that actual movie compared to the other ones that was released. It's something that my daughter and I watched together. And although my daughter wasn't, she was like one when Whitney passed. But, you know, she doesn't recall that. But being able to share that with her, being for her to see that movie, it's amazing because she feels what I felt, you know? Uh, so as always, thank you for having me. And I really, really, really look forward to this one as well. You keep doing it, man. <laughs> you keep on doing it. But, um, you know, oh, happy new year to you and all the listeners.
On January 11th, 1997, um, I took my ex-girlfriend, Salima, to see New Edition live in concert. This was the Home Again reunion tour, and um, it had the opening act Blackstreet and Keith Sweat as the co-headliner. New Edition came on stage, and they did their thing. It was a great show. Great show. But they had to leave the stage because Madison Square Garden back then, I don't know if they still have it, had a curfew of 11 o'clock for all events. Um, now, many times they couldn't control it if a hockey or basketball game went past 11 o'clock because of NBA and NHL overtime rules. But for other events like boxing, like pro wrestling, the circus, the ice shows, concerts they had to be done by 11 o'clock if not the people that worked in the building the people that set up the stage the people that work concessions the union people that Madison Square Garden employed had to be paid a substantial amount of overtime so that's why they implemented that 11 o'clock rule so at around 10:55, new edition is given the cue that they have to wrap up their act Bobby Brown grabs the mic and screams to the audience that, you know, Keith Sweat took too fucking long on his set. This is my motherfucking house. I'm the King of R.B. He turned around, he pulled his pants down, and he mooned the audience. And I didn't notice until I heard on the radio the next morning. And I believe this was on the Jeff Fox uh, radio show on Kiss FM. That Whitney Houston was 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 acting real uh, obnoxious that night as she sat in the third or fourth row, cheering on Bobby and screaming, "Go ahead, Bobby! Tell him, Bobby! Tell him!" and cursing. She was acting unladylike, unWhitney-like. So that was the first time I had ever heard any type of uh, ignorance. Coming out of Whitney's of uh, voice, coming out of Whitney, as far as being in public, and then a little bit after that, rumors began to mount throughout the media, not only in New York City but throughout the United States, that her and Bobby were engaging in drugs and alcohol together. Nineteen ninety nine and two thousand, you saw Whitney began to lose more weight and she'd be at award shows or given presentations she grabbed the mic and she was always saying oh my husband Bobby my the king of R&B is Bobby Brown but by, by 1999 Bobby Brown's career was shot to hell it was done you guys can listen to if you haven't my Bobby Brown tribute podcast Bobby Brown had a great run from 1988 to 1992 and after that it was a rap. The last hit he ever had as a solo act was with his wife, Nothing in Common, the song Nothing in Common. Bobby Brown didn't have another album until 1997. I think 10 people bought that album. Um, or Whitney bought all 10 copies. That shit went uh, 50 times lead. It was trash. It was trash. Bobby Brown on his debut album, 
in which I covered ex extensively on the Legends of Sports and Music. Check the archives. The Don't Be Cruel album. He had stellar production from Babyface and Teddy Riley. Second album, he had great producers on there as well. By the third album in 97, he was trying to do things on his own. And Bobby Brown's not a writer. He's not a producer. Bobby Brown's one of them talents that he needs somebody to write for him. That album flopped. And now both Bobby and Whitney's personal lives and professional lives are spiraling out of control. I talked about 2001 right, uh, right before 9-11. She appeared on stage with Michael Jackson at his 30th anniversary concert. And she looked like she was on death's door. A few days later, the fake news about her death occurred. She didn't, but she was still in bad shape. Uh, she was supposed to attend Clive Davis's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and produce. I mean, not produce, but, but sing. In, in honoring Clive Davis, her mentor and the man who discovered her, uh, she no-showed. She didn't show up. And rumors was because she was on a drug binge. She had an album called Just Whitney that flopped, 2002. It was the first album was her, of hers that didn't go platinum, that just was just flopped. And it was trash. It was trash. I played the CD once, and that was it. That shit has been catching dust for 20, 21 years. Then she had the abomination of a reality show. What's it called? Being Bobby Brown, that which followed her and Bobby Brown, or Bob? I forgot the name. It was a Bravo reality show. Was it Being Bobby Brown? Was it Bobby and Whitney? I forgot the name of this uh, uh, reality show because Bobby Brown had one later on. I think Bobby Brown had one called Being Bobby Brown, which was more positive. Bobby Brown uh, um, has really um, turned his life around. Has a beautiful second marriage to a beautiful woman who helped him get through rehab and helps him every day fight addiction. And Bobby Brown, from my understanding, has been clean for several years. And I think it took Whitney's death and his son and his daughter's deaths to uh, um, bring him bring him back to reality to help bring. Like they always say, you have to hit rock bottom in order to uh, start fighting and overcoming your addiction. So kudos to Bobby Brown. Uh, I don't know if Whitney ever got there, but um, that reality show was an abomination. Lasted one season, and then shortly after that reality show ended, Whitney and Bobby finally divorced. There was always rumors of them fighting each other, getting high together, um, I know both have a part to play in, but I was really upset over the years where Bobby got the brunt of the criticism. I've, I always thought it was both guilty, equally guilty for the toxic marriage that they were both involved in with each other. And anybody who was close to the situation, including Whitney Houston's family and Bobby Brown's family, will tell you that Bobby Brown never started 
using cocaine until he started dating Whitney Houston. And that's verified by several members of Bobby Brown's family and Whitney Houston's family. So I'm not making stuff up. I'm just going by what these people have said. Bobby Brown was already um, battling alcohol abuse when he met Whitney Houston. And it just got out of hand between the two of them. That was a marriage that should have never happened, but some things you can't control. Those two people, how's how's those saying? They was either fighting or effing. I'm trying to keep this as a family podcast today. You guys know what I mean. Uh, after the divorce ended, uh, I think a year or two after the divorce ended, Whitney Houston finally entered drug rehab and looked like she was beginning to get her life together. In 2011, she was one of the stars. She played the mother of the girl group in the remake of Sparkle, in which, what was her name? Jordan Sparks. Jordan Sparks. Um, oh, man, I keep forgetting these people's names. The three women that played Whitney Houston's daughters were phenomenal. There's that one actress, man. You know what? I'm going to have to. I'm tired of forgetting these names. Early signs of dementia, ladies and gentlemen. You, you guys might have to put me out the pasture. <laughs> oh my goodness! You guys might have to put me out the pasture because um, I keep forget. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting things. I keep forgetting. I keep forgetting. Not in love anymore. <laughs> Comedy Jogo. The very beautiful and talented Comedy Jogo was phenomenal. The 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 women the the girls that the girls. My bad. They were they were all adult women. The women that played Whitney Houston's daughters were Tika Sumter, Carmen and Jogo, and the star of the movie, Jordan Sparks, who uh, uh, did Irene Cara's original version proud. Um, Derek Luke and Mike Epps were in the movie as well. Um, was Omari Hardwick in the movie? Yes, he was. Great memory. So you had a very good cast, a great cast. And um, the movie was a moderate success, but it was a great comeback for Whitney because she sang on the soundtrack. And this was right after she had come out a couple years earlier with the last big hit of her career, I Look To You. So Whitney's career looked to be rebounding, looked to be back on track. And then came the night of February 11th, 2012. And I will be back with one more segment talking about that night, how I found out about it and my reaction when we come back after we hear one more voice note and song i'll be back with my final segment the night that whitney died hello this is timogen scott mr silver thank you once again for asking me to contribute to the legends of sports and music podcast so the question was, what was my reaction with when Whitney Houston passed away? Well, 
it's funny, you know, a lot of the times when something major like that happens, you start to see people asking the questions online. Is it true? Is it true that Whitney passed? Is it true? Have y'all heard that Whitney Houston passed? And it's like, nope, because how many times do they kill off our greats? And then, it, you know, then the great comes up on the screen or they'll post a tweet or saying, you know, saying something like, I'm fine, you guys, I'm fine. That has happened to several of our greats. But this specific time, breaking news, CNN. Don Lemon comes on the screen. This just in, you know, legendary, iconic singer Whitney Houston has died. For me, honestly, it was like a deep sigh. To me, like Whitney Houston was like the auntie that you wanted to win. When you saw, you know, when you saw her, it seemed like she would be a just be a whole positive vibe everyone has their struggles so Whitney is in that list of people that we lost that caused a huge hole in the music industry they will there will never be another Whitney Houston obviously the reaction was sadness. It's like, man, she's gone. And then, of course, naturally, you see the tributes and the, the, you know, they talk to the family and you see the clips of old performances and you're just like, wow. You know, Whitney singing the Star Spangled Banner. That shifted the culture. I always thought that Whitney Houston, I call Whitney Houston the Michael Jackson of songstresses. This is my opinion. Because she was on that level. She was everywhere. Whitney Houston was everywhere. In every home. So the reaction overall was, of course, sadness. And realizing that there will now be another hole in the industry. The industry of music, obviously. You know, we lost Luther some years prior and then Whitney. And then right before that, a couple of years prior to that, we lost Michael. Come on. Come on. So I would say to sum it all up, sadness and a feeling of tremendous loss in the world and in music. I don't know if I can remember the exact time and where I was at and all of that when Whitney Houston passed away. I'm just not good at that type of stuff as far as my memory. What I can talk about is what Whitney meant to me and, you know, most of the culture. Um, simply for my money, the greatest singer to have ever lived um, as far as her vocal prowess, you know, her strength. And the way she projects her voice, just simply the greatest to me. Just growing up, you know, hearing her music, 
you know, once again, I was young. I was about five or six years old when I first heard her and heard my mom's uh, and pops playing her around the house. It was just amazing to hear a voice like that. Even at that age, you know when you hear someone special. And that's what Whitney was. My favorite song, well, it goes back and forth with Mariah Carey's Can't Let Go. But You Give Good Love by Whitney, um, they go back and forth as my favorite songs of all time. I absolutely love those songs. Just, you know, completely magical type songs to me that mean a lot to me. And as far as what Whitney means to the culture, like, you know I me, mean? it's just when we think of her as ours, like Whitney is ours. And even though she was accepted and she was this huge pop icon and everybody loved her, you know, she still belonged to the black community, even though at one point the black community kind of shunned her for doing so many pop records at the end of the day. It was just because people were a little upset because, you know, it seemed like she was giving herself to the whole pop world and not staying within, you know, the R&B world uh, from my recollection of what I've been, you know, told. I mean, it's not too much you can say about Whitney, which everyone else won't say in their voice note. So I just want to acknowledge her and remember her as the great that she was. So tragic, her passing so early at 48 years old. That's just way too 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 uh, too young to die. And then her daughter dying three years later is really extra, extra tragic. And another thing I want to say before I let it go, the jokes, you know, we all laughed at the jokes, the whole cocaine jokes and all that type of stuff. But after all this time has passed, uh, it, it's, it's really old. It's tired, you know, it's time to let that go. Let's remember her for being the icon that she that she was. Let's remember her, play her music, you know. Let's look at her movie. I mean, everybody loves the bodyguard that I know. Um, so we love you, Whitney. We miss you, Whitney. And thank you to the Legends of Sports and Music podcast for, you know, shining this light onto Whitney Houston. Thank you.
top of my head, you know, trying to be authentic as possible. Um, I believe it was a Saturday night um, when I heard the news around 8-ish, some 8, 8.30-ish, sometime around then. And, you know, um, when I heard the news, like, I wasn't, like, shocked, like, when Michael Jackson died or when Prince passed away. Or I remember when I was was a young child and heard that Marvin Gaye had passed away. Um, Whitney, I was more like, damn, you, you know, um, it was almost like it was inevitable, 
you know, um, her passing. And, you know, um, I just knew, you know, that eventually that her story would end the way it did. You know, I didn't know that it would end, you know, in a, in a bathtub drowning off of Xanax. Um, but, you know, her drug abuse, you know, and the stories and, you know, I just knew at some point the the story wasn't going to end well um, with Whitney Houston. Um, you know, it wasn't until her funeral that the magnitude of what we lost, you know, the icon, um, the the person, the arguably the greatest female voice in the history of singing. Um, if you go back to the Mariah podcast that we did, I was like her or Whitney was like pepperoni or sausage. You know, when you go back to that um, When You Believe song, I mean, the way those two blended and you heard those two exquisite voices come together, um, you know, whatever choice you made, I wouldn't argue with. Um, but her funeral, that's when, you know, her the impact of her death hit me, man. Um, and when the whinings got up there and did Tomorrow, um, I, emotionally, I lost it then, man. That's when the um, the tears came down my cheeks, and you, you know the magnitude of the loss was felt, man. And I was like, damn, we lost Whitney, man. Um, and it hurt, you, you know. Um, just watching her struggles, you, you know, um, with addiction, um, you know, it leads me to. Um, this friend I have now, um, Moya, uh, used to be a beautiful Puerto Rican, uh, young lady, man. And, you know, uh, the disease of addiction, um, is getting the best of her, you know, uh, crack, fentanyl, Xanax, Percocets, whatever she can get her hands on, man, she does. Um, I've tried to, you know, encourage her to go to rehab, um, you know, she comes, her story, OG, it reminds me um, of why you don't indulge in drugs. You know, her, her family, she comes from a family of addicts, you, you know, and, um, you, you know, this, this believe, she believes is a reason why she was susceptible to, you know, um, drug use, um, you, you know, and um, it's just, it's just hard watching somebody destroyed themselves, man, you know, and I can only imagine tying this in back to Whitney, you know, her family, man, her mother, and, you know, just watching her, you know, slowly destruct herself, man. Um, you know, I know, I thought at the time when she passed that, you know, she was on the other side of it, but you know, it's 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 a one day at a time, one hour at a time, one minute at a time, actually process, um, you, you know, um, and like I said, dealing with this young lady and trying to help her with her addiction, um, it just it just brings things full circle because I myself never really um, had somebody my uncle did crack, you know. He's on the other side of it now. God willing, you know, he continues to stay on that path. But this was over 20-something years ago, 
with him using, you, you know. Um, but I got one really close friend that's that's actually on crack now, you, you know. Um, but other than that, you, you know, it it never like affected me, you, you know, like that. And um, to see somebody, you, you know, struggle with that, you, you know, um, it just it just it just hurts my soul, man, because there's really nothing. And I don't believe in the um, the um, letting them hit rock bottom, you, you, you know, because like I, I've talked with Moya's mom and I said, man, listen, you know, rock bottom could be death, you, you know, Um so, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you, you have to grab this person and, and embrace them with love and hope that they can feel it and hope that they want to change, you know, and it's, it's, it's that power of love that you hope can bring them to the other side. And, you know, looking at Whitney, Whitney was a millionaire. So it's not just, you know, a regular person's thing, you, you know, um, we sometimes tend to forget that celebrities are real people that have real problems, just like everyday people. Um, you, you, you know, so it's it's just um, it's tough watching that. And I can only imagine, you know, uh, watching Whitney as a close friend or family member, you know, watching her um, that disease get the best of her. Um so I just wanted to share that with y'all, man. And, and you, you know, Whitney was, like I said, arguably one of the, the greatest female voices that we've ever had. Um, it still saddens me to this day that she's gone. Um, you know, it was a lot of great music left in her. You, you know, maybe, you know, at the time, I don't know, because her voice was kind of like, I'm not going to say deteriorating, but it wasn't what it was. But maybe she could have put that into writing and somebody else could have sang it. You, you know, maybe not quite like her, but still. Um, just that's my thoughts on Whitney. Thank y'all for listening, you know, to uh, my friend's story a little bit with addiction. And, you, you know, hopefully she can get on the other side um, and she doesn't become another Whitney person that loses that uh battle with that disease thanks for having me og um happy new year's to everyone out there um hopefully we get to do this again in 24 many more times peace as i lay me down heaven hear me I'm lost without a cause After giving it my all Winter storms have come And darkened my sun After all that I've been through Who on earth can I turn to? I look to
First and foremost, I want to thank all the contributors to this podcast. I haven't listened to a single one while I record it. I will hear the voice notes when you guys hear the voice notes. I didn't want to listen to any of the voice notes because A, it would have made me emotional, and B, it would have affected my performance on this podcast. I didn't want to be... uh, I didn't want to be influenced by what others said of Whitney or what they thought of Whitney. I wanted to be able to be as honest and concise about my thoughts of Whitney's career, my remembrances of Whitney's career through 1990 to 2012 as honest as possible without being influenced by any of the listeners' uh, thoughts and 
their own recollections of her career, of her death. You will hear one more voice note and a live duet that Natalie Cole and Whitney Houston did several years ago. And both are no longer with us, unfortunately. Both died way too young. Both legendary uh, female artists. I'll be doing an episode on Natalie Cole, I believe, next month. I'll be doing a tribute podcast on Natalie Cole next month here on the Legend of Sports and Music. Um, For those of you who want to see the upcoming schedule, follow me on Twitter. My Twitter account is in the uh, description of this podcast. Legends of S. 82332. Or you could just do a search, Legends of Sports and Music, and I should be the first and only person that pops up on the people. I will uh, do a thorough uh, review of Natalie Cole's incredible career next month, and you'll see the list of shows I've got coming up. Janet Jackson, part two next week. We take a look at her incredible music videos between 1986 and 1993. I've got upcoming shows on the Force MDs, the the iconic Love, Marriage, and Divorce, Tony Braxton and Babyface album. I've got some great shows coming up, man. It's, it's going to be just as emotional as this show as the memories keep coming. And ladies and gentlemen, like I've mentioned throughout the entirety of this podcast run of the series here on the Legend of Sports and Music, I only talk about artists I was coherent and alive to remember. So basically we're talking from 1974 till today. I don't talk about artists that were in their prime before I was born. Or before I could uh, remember hearing these artists. Nah, nah, nah. I like to be able to give you my experience li- uh, listening to the music at that time. Attending the concerts at the time watching them perform at that time, and what was going on in my life, in my city, in the United States, etc. Now, speaking of what was going on in my life, February 11th, 2012, I was home. I was home, relaxing. Um, I was relaxing with my son, and we were, we were and my son at the time was... 19 going on 20 and so this was this was a year and a half before he left to go move to florida so uh we're just sitting um he's playing video games in the li- in, in in the living room and i'm chilling listening to uh my slow jams i wasn't at that point in time i wasn't seriously involved with any woman i was one of the few times in my life single so i'm sitting back and I don't think I was watching a Sixers game that night because I didn't have the NBA package. And at that point in time, the Sixers were a run-of-the-mill team. They were still a playoff team, but they weren't an elite team like they are today, like they were during the prime of Allen Iverson. Um, this was a transitional period for the uh, 76ers. The Super Bowl had ended a week before. And so that night, I'm just sitting back listening to slow jams, chilling. My son's playing either his Xbox or his PlayStation in the living room. I'm chilling in my bedroom, listening to music, just just vibing off the music. And then I get an email. 
and this would have been around 715, 730-ish. I get an email, and because I get the notification on my on my iMac. It's from my ex-girlfriend, Tracy. And in the heading of the of her email to me, it's in, in capital letters, S-M-H. You know, shake my head. I open up the email and she says, I'm in tears. Another black legend has died. Why during Black History Month? And R.I.P. Whitney Houston. 11 days earlier, on February 1st, Don Cornelius had killed himself. So within 11 days, two of the biggest icons in the history of black music, Don Cornelius being the greatest TV show producer in the history of black music, in the history of black media, Soul Train. He also started up Soul Train Records back in the late 70s before he walked away and um, it morphed into Solar Records without the involvement of Don Cornelius. And um, Whitney Houston... On the short list of the greatest voice of my lifetime, whether man, whether you're talking male singers or female singers. And it was a full circle moment. I talked about how September of 2001, Wendy Williams reported that there was rumors that Whitney Houston might have died of an overdose. Well, on February 11th, 2012, Whitney Houston was found unresponsive in her bathtub. And the autopsy said it was a combination of cocaine use, um, prescription drug use, and heart disease. A combination of all those three led to her death. It was ruled, quote-unquote, an accidental overdose. The world was at, was in shock. I mean, I was in shock. I couldn't believe it. I mean, last time I saw on TV, she had gained weight. She looked that the healthiest she had been in years. Um, when you, she had just finished filming Sparkle. That movie came out in the summer of 2012. And if you watch that movie, you see Whitney with weight on her. Whitney for years was anorexic. Whitney had weight on her. Whitney looked great in that movie. Whether, and, you know, you could talk about, well, you know, they walk, the, the, the makeup people did a great job. But, no, Whitney looked healthy. She didn't look like the woman that looked like a ghost while she was up there hooting and hollering for her husband, Bobby Brown. While definitely under the influence of anything, she looked healthy. Um, according to reports before she death, she, before her death, she was sober for the first time in several years but you know the de the demons of of cocaine use of alcohol use of substance abuse my father for years dealt with uh alcohol addiction cocaine addiction and heroin addiction addiction even if you 
come to terms with it, even if you, for a moment, successfully kick it, it's a disease you have to battle for the rest of your life. And sometimes you succumb to it, especially if you're dealing with stress. My father was always dealing with stress. So imagine a celebrity of the level, on the level of a Whitney Houston. The ongoing stress, her being a single mother, still um, dealing with the music industry, still trying to get back to where she was. She wasn't there yet. No longer the star she was in her in her twenties and thirties, from basically from nineteen eighty five from nineteen eighty five to two thousand. Whitney Houston was top five in the world, as far as uh, singers go. But after the twenty first century began, Y two K, her career and her personal life began to fall apart but going into 2012 her life was back up on the upswing she had finished filming a movie that was going to come out and it was already getting great reviews uh she had a hit song just prior to that in i look to you she was working on new music she had music coming out on the soundtrack of sparkle she was matter of fact she had attended grammy award parties right before she died. She was at a Beverly Hills hotel, which was not far from where they were going to film the Grammys the following night, the Sunday night. She died on a Saturday. The, the Grammys were the following night on Sunday. It was a shock to me when uh, my ex-girlfriend Tracy Send me that email. Now, you're going to ask me, why didn't she text me? Why didn't she call me? Well, Tracy had gone through a, a, a divorce in 2011. And right before that divorce occurred, she had accused me of uh, trying to break her and her husband apart. Her and I were uh, texting each other all the time. And so after she left her husband, she uh, changed her cell phone number. I had her cell phone number from when she first got it in 2000 until she left her husband around Christmas time 2010. She sent me an email saying that she was leaving him. And then she sent me another email saying she changed her number. And when she gets a new number, she'll give me a new She'll give me that new number. She never gave me that new number. 23 years later, I still don't have that number, but you know. I talked all about that on the Key Sweat Part 2 uh, podcast. It's a 45-minute segment. You guys could check out the history between me and this woman and what led to her no longer wanting to speak to me. She stopped talking to me. Other than when her brother died almost seven years ago, January of 2017, she reached out to me. And um, we kept in contact for about uh, two years two and a half years and then boom she stopped speaking to me again and just out of the blue but you know you're you you do what you got to do all right um i i don't understand it but i leave it at that anyway facebook was blowing up i went on facebook after uh tracy uh emailed me about whitney's death and you had people 
on my um that that uh on my friends list posting memories of Whitney, pictures of Whitney and people posting on on on, on Facebook about how uh they can't believe it. Part of their childhood is dead. And, man, I was 16 years old when I first heard Whitney Houston on Hold Me with Teddy Pendergrass. I was 17 when she exploded with her debut album. So Whitney Houston had been a staple of my entire adult life. The first two albums, Didn't We Almost Have It All is on my Mount Rushmore of Heartbreak Ballads. That's a powerful song. The I'm Your Baby Tonight album, phenomenal album where she became, uh, where she became less pop-oriented and more soul-oriented in her music. Um, After We Make Love and Miracle are two of my all-time favorite Whitney Houston ballads. The incredulous success of The Bodyguard that made her on that Michael Jackson worldwide international level. As for a brief moment, she was the biggest star in music. No denying that. Then there was the great acting success in The Preacher's Wife and Waiting to Exhale. And Grammy Awards, the great duet she did with Mariah Carey that I played on this podcast. Two of the greatest voices from 1985 until now. And then me just being um, just being annoyed and disappointed in her behavior for the first 10 years of the 21st century. And then when it looked like she had turned her life around out of nowhere, she was dead. A week later, New York won televised in New York City televised her Newark New Jersey memorial it was an amazing memorial with great performances by Alicia Keys Stevie Wonder and I know he's hated and he deserves to be hated but I gotta give the devil his due R. Kelly's version of I Look to You at her memorial was some uh, was some church getting down I mean it was some gospel gospel greatness there he tore that church apart with his performance of I look to you it was a fitting tribute to one of the greatest queens in the history of music a sad ending to a life she was 40 she was only 48 Michael Jackson was 50 Michael Jackson and Whitney Houston died less than three years apart and you could make an argument that they were the two biggest stars of my lifetime. Even up to this day, I know people are going to tell me Beyonce is a bigger star than Whitney Houston. But I want to know, did Beyonce ever have a year like 1993? Did she ever have an album run like Whitney Houston had from her first, the Whitney, Whitney Houston, the Whitney album, the Whitney Houston album, the um, I'm Your Baby Tonight album, and then, of course, the My, Body, My Bodyguard soundtrack. Phenomenal album after album, classic album after classic album. I don't think Beyonce with Destiny's Child all by herself ever had that greater run 
ever had that great of success. And I know she broke records last year with her touring, concerts all over the world. I get that. But internationally, does she ever have the impact in one year that Whitney Houston had in 1993? There's only a few people that ever live that had a greater impact than Whitney Houston. Uh, probably the first year Elvis Presley exploded onto the scene. The first year the Beatles exploded onto the scene. 1983 to 84, Michael Jackson. 1984, Prince. 1993, Whitney Houston. It's a short list, ladies and gentlemen. It's a short list. She sold over 40 million records worldwide with My Bodyguard. That's amazing. I will never argue with anybody who, said, who says Whitney Houston had the greatest singing voice in the history of music, male or female. She's on the short list. You know, I've, I've, you know, I've got to say you could make the argument for Whitney, Mariah, Patti LaBelle, Aretha Franklin. The list is short. I'm just talking about women. When it comes to women, the list is short. It's them four, really. Um, Minnie Ripperton, Phyllis Hyman, you could uh, put them in a conversation. But if you want to tell me that Whitney Houston had the greatest, the single greatest singing voice in the history of music, especially when it came to women, I won't argue with you. She's not my, my number one choice, but the, you can make the argument. Whitney Houston's legacy will forever be cemented in iconic status. She is the definition of an icon. I mentioned she was part of that holy trinity of pop queens. Janet Jackson, Whitney Houston, Madonna from 1986 until Whitney began to fall off the cliff in 2000. I want to thank people for listening. Um, I know that this will be very therapeutic for Whitney fans out there that still mourn the loss of one of the greatest voices God ever created. I hope everybody out there continues to have a great holiday, continue to uh, cherish the people around you. Continue to cherish your loved ones, whether it's your husbands, your wives, your children, your parents, your uncles, your aunts, your grandparents, your siblings. And try and remain as healthy as you can. And please, please always check on the ones you love, even if you know they're healthy. You never know what might be going through. What might they be going through? Remember, a lot of people thought Whitney was past the road, past the point of no, I mean, past that uh, point where she was no longer uh, falling apart. Everybody said she looked together. Everybody was mentioning how healthy she looked with the, with the additional weight gain and the whole nine, how full her face looked. And then boom, all of a sudden, dead 
Ladies and gentlemen, thank you again for listening. Next week, we will be talking Janet Jackson Part 2, the iconic mu music videos from 1986 to 1993. I will leave you with one more voice note and the live duet between Natalie Cole and Whitney Houston. Happy New Year to everybody. Until next week, when we talk Janet Jackson Part 2, happy holidays, happy New Year. Always be blessed and be a blessing. I remember having a newborn at the time of Whitney Houston's death. So I cannot tell you whether the news came in like midday or if it was the morning after. Um, I do know that times were a bit different as far as accessibility to information. I mean, yeah, there was internet and there was social media, but I think that um, news just wasn't delivered as quickly, unless you were on Twitter or something like that. And at the time I wasn't. I just remember hearing the news and crying because despite seeing the decline in her due to drug abuse, I still hoped that it was something that she would overcome rather than succumb to. And I immediately remember thinking, there's something else to this. And I always feel this way, like when it comes to drug overdoses or anything, it's like, I just, I am a skeptic and maybe even a bit of a conspiracy theorist, you know, where I want, I wonder who was involved and was the drugs laced and did they even die that way? Like, it's just a normal thing for me to question things because I know that when you are such a bright light that people will work very hard to get rid of that light and um she had a beautiful light inside of her that came out with her voice and that's often why so so many of us us here i'm saying us um we're targeted we're targeted when we're talented like that when we're beautiful like that we're targeted and if we can remember who these people were before drugs you'll understand that there are pressures placed on these people there are people in their corner that aren't good for them that want to suck the life out of these people, these artists, these beautiful lights. So I sympathize with them in their addiction and rather than villainize them because they were preyed upon. The people around them didn't take care of them. The people around them wanted to take from them. And um, that pressure they just came into and the majority of us may as well, like, you know, who's to say what we would do if we were had been Whitney Houston. 
So I don't villainize her and um, I sympathized with her and just prayed that she would overcome or that overcome long enough to get strong enough that we would see the return of Whitney in some capacity. But to hear that she passed away in such a way to she was worth worthy of more she deserved more she deserved a better way to go out of this place so i cried and then i was angry and that's what i remember about the death of whitney houston and then after that it was just about honoring the memory of one of the most powerful beautiful voices of our time of even this time by playing her music, by streaming it, by singing her songs, by seeing the beautiful woman and not the person that is often ridiculed and used in means to display certain types of behavior. I'd rather see her in the way that she was, the glory of her. And that's how I choose to honor and remember her. And that's how I choose to honor and remember all of our stars, all of the bright lights. Because that's what they're here for. They're here to illuminate. They're here to send messages through the love that they project in their voices and in their lyrics. And they are victim to so much in their only human, yes, but what they did, the contribution, that is so much more powerful. And that's what I choose to focus on. So I was sad, but I'm also grateful that we had had Whitney Houston when we did. Robert, once again, thank you. Um, I know it's been a while and I won't even say why. But uh, thank you for this moment. And I pray that everyone who has left a message, a voice note, um, and that, you know, that is spending this time on this podcast with you, Robert, um, has had a wonderful holiday period, this, whatever you, you know, you celebrate, and that you have a wonderful new year. She's already had seven number one singles. I can only be talking about one person. Please welcome the Grammy Award winning superstar, my baby sister, Miss Whitney Houston. Hey. Y'all, we're going to do a little something different this evening. We're going to sing a song that neither one of us has ever done before, an old Aretha Franklin classic. Mm. Okay? Okay. You ready? I'm ready. You can clap along, Come snap on. your fingers.